0: Welcome to the Indianola First podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. For those of you that don't know, when Iowans get excited, they go, whoo! I mean, that's major. you excited this morning? Ooh. This is a little longer than a second. Praise God. Man, I'm excited. We have a... we have jumped in last week to a mini series, kind of just a three week quick series on the book of Ruth. And I challenged you last week to be reading through the whole book and maybe even reading through it multiple times, maybe even daily. It's only four chapters, not that big a deal. Uh, how, how many know that you can spend a, a little more than 20 minutes um, watching television every single day and putting stuff into your mind and into your heart that ain't so good? This is the Word of God. Spend 20 minutes to a half hour in his word every day, phew, change your life. Amen. Change your life. It absolutely will. So we got through the first chapter of Ruth and I, last week, and I gave you a bit of a historical backdrop to help you understand to greater extent some of the many, many lessons found in this, these four chapters. And one of the things I, I ex- maybe didn't explain well enough or I want to explain again this week is that this is kind of a different way of me preaching. I really just want to go through it. And pull stuff out, pull stuff out, not zero in on one message um, from each, each uh, little section that we go over. It's easy to do that. I could do that all day long. I mean, there are so many lessons in the book of Ruth, it's unreal. But I, I want to kind of show you, as you read through the Bible, as you read Scripture on a daily basis, you think about it in these ways. You start pulling things out. You, you ask yourself questions. And then you dive into the study notes below. And maybe you, you, you go online to some of the free commentaries that are out there that are good commentaries. And you, you, check, you might want to check some, some Greek or Hebrew words as you go through it. This is how you study the Word of God. And even if you get to a place in, in your reading where, man, I don't understand that. Or I was thinking about something else when I read that. Go back and reread it. There's no race here. It's not, how can I get done with this book very quickly? Man, i got to hurry up and get done with Ruth because I, I, I want to move on. And that's not how we should read it. We should read it in a way where we just take out and like wring that sponge out of God's word and get as much of it into us as we possibly can. Even if it means reading one sentence 25 times. Even if it means stepping back from that, that one scripture that one verse, and saying, God, show me the meaning here. Show me what you're trying to say to me. Maybe stop and taking a little moment to pray. Say, God, I don't understand this. I need you to reveal it to me. There's truths in here that are for me, and I need to know it. He'll reveal it. That's how we read God's word. It's not just duty. We don't just read it out of duty. We read it out of a love and a a passion to get to know him. And for for us to to be able to to maybe have, have that... I, t- I say we have those uh, mirror talks, you know? Sometimes when you look in the mirror and you talk to yourself and you tell, you, what you, you tell yourself what you need to be thinking and how you need to be speaking and how you need to be acting. Has anyone ever done that? Come on. Maybe some of you need to do that, right? Well, the Word of God is kind of like a mirror. When you hold it up, it, start, it starts speaking to you. And so grab hold of that. Lay hold of it. Uh, squeeze that sponge, so to speak, and get as much out of it as you can. And that's kind of how I'm going to go through this this morning as we, as we move on. But if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. I want to give you a really quick overview. Um, during the time of Judges, that's when the book of Ruth was written or the events of Ruth were written, and um, Elimelech and Naomi, it, it kind of zeroes in, starts in on those that couple. They're a wealthy Jewish couple. They lived in Bethlehem and Judah along with their two sons, Sickly and away. And uh, I say that because we looked at the meanings of the names last week. Elimelech means my God is king. Naomi, his wife, means pleasant, and their kids were named, their meanings of their names were sickly and waste away, which is just wonderful family they got going on here. As a result of a famine that struck the land, they they moved out of Judah, they moved out of the promised land, and they went to the country of Moab, which was outside of the nation of Israel. And their two sons married Moabite women, which wasn't really permitted, but they did it anyway because they were in Moab, and and, uh, there was a good-looking girls there, apparently, and so they, they got themselves a couple of wives, Orpah and Ruth. These women were from a people that were the direct descendants. I'm talking about the Moabites here. They were direct descendants of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter, sometime after the, they were rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. So go back centuries before, and uh, you know the story of Abraham and Lot, his nephew, living in a, a very evil place, and he was rescued. Of course, his wife wasn't. She turned around. She turned to a pillar of salt. And they were living outside of the city. And Lot, you know, being corrupted by living in such an evil place for so long, um, willingly putting himself in evil's path. Think about that in your life. How often do we put ourselves in, in, around evil and let it infect us like a cancer? Well, that's exactly what he did. And he ended up sleeping with his daughters. And they had babies. And. And, and one of those daughters, the nation was Moab, and this is where Elimelech and Naomi went, and where their sons, sickly and waste away, found a couple of wives. Um, then Elimelech died. We, we read about that last week. And Naomi, Naomi's two sons, they died also. Maybe it's because every time they called their name, hey, sickly, hey, waste away. You know, sometimes our words mean stuff. They always mean stuff, right? Got to be careful what you say. And uh, that left Naomi as a widow, too old to bear any more children and without sons who could possibly provide protection for her and care for her. So she had, but, And she also had these two daughter-in-laws now who were Moabite women, and they were part of her family, and they were her responsibility. So this was a tough situation. She was living in a foreign land. I'm talking really fast because I want to get through this review. She was living in a foreign land without much hope for survival, so she decides to make the journey back to her country, back to the Promised Land, back to the city of Bethlehem within Judah, where at least there was some hope, and she had hope there because she knew that the prophets preached to the the people, and they said, hey, take care of the widows, take care of the widows, and here she was, a widow, lost everything, had these two other mouths to feed and take care of, so she's like, well, maybe somebody will have mercy on us. So she went on back to Judah, and uh, just as she was on her way, she stopped. And she's like, I don't want these daughter-in-laws of mine to come back with me and have nothing there. Because really, she only had a hope that something might work out there. She didn't really have uh, any, any guarantees. And so her, daughters, uh, her daughter-in-laws, um, uh, she pleaded with them, go back, there's nothing for you back in Judah. And uh, it, w- it was an emotional thing as we went over last week. And Naomi knew that Jewish law didn't permit the men to marry outside the nation, the Jewish nation, and even though these Moabite women were now officially Jews because they were married into the Jewish nation, um, there really wasn't a lot of hope for them back home. So with with some pleading, the one daughter, Orpah, are you following me so far am I boring you? Oh, boring you, okay. (laughs) Woo, excited about being bored. Um, Naomi pleaded with Orpah and and, and Ruth, and Orpah finally agreed to return to her family, but Ruth wouldn't go. She said this to Naomi in chapter 1, 16 and 17. I want to read it again because it's some of the most beautiful words in all the Old Testament. So poetic, so amazing. He says, for where you go, I will go. This is what Ruth said to her mom. Quit telling me to leave. Quit telling me to go back to to Moab. For where you go, I will leave. I, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And this was a vow to Naomi um, and a declaration of Ruth that she would serve the God of Israel and abandon her false gods that she worshiped back in Moab. She recklessly abandoned life as she knew it, she left her homeland, her security her family, everything she knew. She left it all to serve her mother-in-law, Naomi, and to serve Naomi's God. And and I, I brought this out last week and I want you to see it. It's a picture of salvation, church. Coming to Christ is not merely saying a prayer of salvation. As the end draws near to Jesus returning, I don't want the people that I get to preach to, that I have the privilege of preaching to, every single Sunday, to somehow get the wrong impression that if you say a prayer, you're instantly going to be in heaven. It's more than that. Anybody can say the words of a prayer. There's got to be a heart change. There's got to be a reckless abandonment of your, the world that you once uh, were a part of and, and, and come into the, 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 a relationship with Jesus. It's leaving the past behind and allowing Christ himself to make you a new creation. It's being born again, the word of God says. Born again. Changed from the inside out. There are so many lessons in this book in Ruth. It's mind-blowing. And every time you read these four chapters, to me, it just seems like the Holy Spirit teaches you something else. And I I could preach a sermon uh, thus far on, on chapter one on living up to your name as a Christian. Elimelech, my God is king. That was his name. Certainly didn't live up to his name. As soon as famine stuck, he, he tucked tail and ran over to Moab. Are you following God's will or being led by your own fear? I mean, that, that message is in there. Negative attitudes. Naomi certainly had reason to be negative and sorrowful, all the bad things that happened to her. But upon getting back to Bethlehem, she told the women to call her Mara instead of Naomi, which Mara means bitterness, Naomi means pleasant. Her life wasn't pleasant, so she started saying, call me bitterness, because that's what I am. And you can go through life recognizing all the bad things that happened to you, and you can, you can wallow in them, or you can recognize all the bad things that happened to you and set them all up next to the, an eternal God that loves you with an everlasting love. Man, there's a big difference in those two attitudes. There's a message in here about the loyalty within family relationships. Also, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye as she decided to part with her forever. Somebody doesn't like my sermon. I'm sorry. (laughs) It kind of reminds me, when Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, it kind of reminds me of the kiss that Judas gave Jesus. But Ruth was loyal to Naomi. That kiss was a kiss of goodbye. We're separating forever, that Orpah gave her. Same kind of kiss Judas gave. Ruth, however, Ruth was loyal to Naomi. We could talk about family loyalty there. We can certainly see a lesson about names and how their meanings are important. I kind of touched on that already. There's also the message of a Gentile woman, Ruth, a Moabitess, who could have let her past and her family history define her, but she didn't. Our history never has to define us when we serve a God of love and grace. I mean, as you read through the scripture, guys, pull these messages out for yourself. How, how many have ever been haunted by their past? Something you did, something you said, some way in which you acted, some deal you made. We don't have to be defined by our past. Maybe it's something you never did at all. I mean, Ruth didn't do anything. She's just born into this place. Maybe maybe you didn't do anything, but your past is just full of hurt and tough stuff. Not even anything you've done yourself. We serve a God of love and grace and mercy. Chapter 1 ends by giving us the detail of Naomi and Ruth arriving back in Bethlehem in Judah, just at the beginning of the barley harvest. And I think it's important... um, that that says that, and I, I want to just bring that out just a little bit. This would have been the eighth month of their agriculture calendar and was around our April or May. It would have been right at the beginning of the Jewish holiday, Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. Turn to your neighbor and say Shavuot. That's a Jewish holiday, the Feast of Weeks. Now, I, I, connecting the dots prophetically here a little bit, I'm getting into the second chapter here. There are seven weeks from easter to pentecost this mentioning of the time frame of the returning at the beginning of the barley harvest isn't just extra information in the word of god if it's in there there's a reason it's in there and it's a prophetic it's prophetically pointing to what would happen 1300 plus years into the future and this is very significant throughout the book of ruth the feast of the passover was celebrated by the Jewish nation to commemorate the exodus of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Okay, years previous to this. Seven weeks of seven days, or 50 days later, they celebrated the Jewish nation, the Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks. These feasts were established hundreds of years prior to the events of the book of Ruth, and even more, thousands of years, before Jesus walked the face of the earth. And from us today, even thousands more years from that. They were part of the law given to Moses. They were part of the old covenant. And I don't have time to really get into the, in this series, to get into the meaning of the Jewish feast, but let's do that sometime. Wouldn't that be fun? Just to go through a series on the Jewish feasts and how they prophetically point to things now. But you can, this is what you can do. You can connect our Easter celebration, the one that we have every year, You could connect that to the Jewish Passover feast. Just as the Jewish nation celebrated their exodus from slavery, and hear me, as modern Christians, we celebrate Easter and our own exodus from the slavery of sin. Fifty days later, they celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which commemorates the giving of the law or the Old Covenant to Moses. Traditionally, in Jewish worship, uh, it it includes, during this time of the year, the reading of the book of Ruth. Which is interesting. For Christians today, we celebrate the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. The Holy Spirit given to the church is a sealing of the new covenant that we are under. And if I'm talking over your head, I don't mean to. I just want you to understand that all the stuff in the Old Testament, all those things that we just breeze by, they all have meaning. And folks, we got to become students of the word. The closer we get to that moment when the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns to take his. Children home, the closer we get to that, the more dedicated we need to be as God's people to His Word. We have to understand it. We need to study it. We need to examine it. We need to spend time in it. We need to meditate on it. We need to let it become a real part of our lives, not something we just expect the pastor to give us and spoon and feed us on Sunday morning. Never was good at feeding the babies. I'm not talking about you. But sometimes we all are like that, aren't we? We get kind of like, well, just do it for me because I don't want to do it. Man, we need to dive into the word. Agriculturally, I'll give you just one more little nugget about these feasts and then we'll move on. The Passover feast is the time, and I'm talking agriculturally speaking, according to their agriculture calendar, is the time that celebrating the first fruits of the harvest. Then 50 days later, the Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the old, older barley harvest. When you start connecting all these dots, you begin to understand that there are seasons to what God is doing, and we are getting closer to the older barley harvest, prophetically speaking. And you can start bringing the idea of latter rains, agriculturally speaking, which, which ties to the end time, uh, revival in my mind. Anyway, we, we got to save that all for another time. But you understand, there's seasons for what God is doing. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Here we go. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is one of those, and the plot thickens moments. If it was a soap opera, that's when the organ would go, you know. (laughs) Boaz is a wealthy landowner, a relative of Elimelech. And this is not something Naomi was counting on. This isn't a a man that her and Ruth had been talking about. Hey, if we go back there, let's, let's try to corner Boaz. They didn't know about that. They didn't know about him. They weren't counting on him. The scripture was just, just makes us aware at this point that this man exists and that he is a worthy man. Boaz, by the way, means swiftness or strength. And as the story moves on, Boaz is a picture of strength for Naomi. He also moves swiftly with his decisions to be kind and gracious to her. Now, now I want to read something to you from the book of Leviticus. Are you following along so far? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm following along. Are you? I know this is a lot, and sometimes I get into these fire hose moments where I just want to give it all to you. Bring it on, I like that. So I want to read to you from the book of Leviticus, and it's a part of the law given to Moses directly from God, and it's incredibly important for us to know and and think about when studying the book of Ruth. Leviticus 19, nine through 10 says this, when you harvest the crops of your land, because this is the law given to Moses, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. This was part of the law. This was part of what they were supposed to be doing in the harvest time, leaving some behind for the poor. And Here's a message to all of us here today, to not be greedy, to not be takers in this life, but to be givers. Man, the further we march through history and we, 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 we go into the future, the further we march into, into the future, uh, it, it seems like there's more and more people who are just takers and not givers. I mean, think of some political figures right now in your mind that are givers those who serve and those who take. I mean, it, it, it's it's unreal when we start thinking about all the taking going on in our world and the lack of those that are, are givers. But we are to be givers, to take care of those less fortunate than us. And this is what Naomi was counting on for her sustenance, not necessarily in the specific person of Boaz, but she knew that this was preached. She knew that this was the law. And she had obviously taught Ruth the Jewish law as well. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. So I'm going to go find somebody whose sight I found favor, and I'm going I'm to glean after their, their, their gleaners, or their reapers. And she said to her, Naomi did go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, the, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Again, we read through this stuff and we don't think about it. And she happened to come? And then just by happenstance, Ruth happens to end up in the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Here's a lesson. God will work all things together for good for those that love him. He absolutely will. Ruth declared her allegiance to God, remember? Leaving everything she knew behind. Now God was working on all things together for her good. It's providence and the divine hand of God working on behalf of one of his children. And by children or child of God, I mean one who has given themselves over to the Lord wholeheartedly. People don't like it when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. Not everybody is a child of God. That's what the Scripture says. Not all people are children of God. In one sense, yes, we're all children because we all have the opportunity to choose Him. But really, those who are called the sons and daughters of God, true children of God, are those that serve Him, those that have submitted to Him, those that are born again, those that have come underneath Him and made Him their Lord and Savior. Those are true children of God. This was the beginning for Ruth of her beauty for ashes story. And, and not only in Ruth's life, but in Naomi's as well. Isaiah 61.3 says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Festive praise, that's woo to all you ones." In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. So we can all relate to this because we've all tasted despair, right? We've all tasted hardship, suffering on some level. We have all experienced in our life uh, maybe being or feeling like we're being reduced to ashes. But as we give those ashes to Jesus, he takes them and gives us beauty back in return. And I love testimonies in church because so often we hear of, this is where I was, this is my, the point where Jesus met me at my point of need, and boom, I'm living in the blessing. And folks, this, this, is, this is so important for us to understand. We all feel like that sometimes. But as we give those ashes to Jesus, he takes them and he gives us beauty in return. I'm going to just say something really profound here. Okay, here we go. You will eventually go through something difficult in your future. No, I won't. Everything is going to be a bed of roses and a bowl of cherries and life is going to be awesome. Yeah, it is, because you have Jesus at your side. But you will go through hardships. You will go through times where you struggle. Where things are just like, overwhelming to you, where you feel those ashes. But give them back, give them to God, and he'll give you beauty in return. You know, Bill Gaither wrote a song. Something beautiful, something good. You know that song? All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. That's a great simple song. But that's what he does when we give him the ashes. He gives us beauty in return. And we see here, again, by happenstance, Boaz happened to be near the field that day that Ruth was there. He was the owner of the field and had workers working in it. He wasn't always there, but this day he was. Look at Ruth 2, 4 through 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. That's a good boss. Boss shows up on the job site and says, The Lord be with you guys. And they all say, The Lord bless you, boss. Man, it sounds like a dream going to work there, don't it? Then Boaz said to his young man, said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, He's like, Who's that young woman over there? Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. I love how. This just includes so many good things. There's another lesson in here that I don't want you to miss. Ruth would not have been noticed by Boaz if she hadn't been working. Man, that'll preach. And the fact that she worked hard is evidence in the phrase, she started early in the morning and has worked until now all morning, not taking a bunch of breaks. I need a 10-minute break every hour. (laughs) Just a short... I mean, she just took a short rest. I love that. It speaks of work ethic. And it's probably not a very popular thing to say, but it's truth, so I really don't care if it's popular. I keep saying that today. (laughs) Ruth experienced the beauty for ashes in her life in part because she had wholeheartedly given her life to God. And also... She just didn't, she wasn't just sitting around waiting for his blessings to fall on her. She worked hard. She put her hand to the plow. She, if so to speak, reaping the harvest was tough enough, but gleaning the grain from the stalks that were left behind would have been even harder. And I'm not saying you can earn blessings uh, from God. I, I, I sat and meditated about this a long time. You don't earn your blessings from God. There's no way you can do that. I'm just saying that if you're in need of something, if you're in need of God to touch something in your life, if you're in need of his blessings, then you need to do everything you can to posture yourself to receive the blessing of God. You can't earn it. Don't get me wrong. But you can posture yourself, position yourself, so that you can receive it. The story then goes on to tell us that Boaz speaks to Ruth and tells her to not go to any other fields. She can glean what is left behind in this one. She is to stay close to the young women that are reaping and go in after them. The young men have been told that they are not to touch, touch her. Boaz said, I, I told them, they can't touch you? And if you get thirsty, go and drink the water that the men have drawn from the well. He's basically saying, yeah, you can do all of this. You know, it's, it's Boaz blessing her is what it is. But he noticed her and her hard work and then finding out that she was the one who was so faithful and loyal to his relative Naomi, he gave her position or provision, providing he provided for her. And again, I just got to pull this out. He didn't just give her the grain. He goes, "Oh yeah, you're my relative. Here's some grain. Now go home to Naomi." You see that? He allowed her to continue working for it in the field. Well, come on, Boaz, you're a rich guy. Where's your compassion? Just, just give her a handout. He was. He was allowing her to have dignity. He was allowing her to work and take that which she really wasn't hers, but she had to work. And I should say here that Boaz is a biblical type of Jesus. He's a picture of Christ. And we will see that Naomi refers to him as one of their kinsmen redeemers, which is very important for you to remember, that word kinsman redeemer. Ruth responds to his kindness in verse 10. She says this Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Boaz, Why have you found favor, or why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz then informs her that he has heard about all she has done for Naomi and how she left everything she knew to come to take refuge under the Lord's wings in Judah, in Bethlehem. And he even speaks over her in a prophetic kind of way, saying, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and may a full reward be given to you. Remember, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. We're going to get into that in a second. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread. This is Ruth 2.14. And dip your morsel in the wine. You see bread and wine here? Think about that. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her, her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over when she rose to glean Boaz instructed his young men saying let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it on the ground for her to glean and do not rebuke her so not only just leave some behind but you know as you as you get a bunch just take a couple bundles out and throw them behind you so she can have an easier time again it's blessing Now when Boaz, which again means strength and swiftness, and again, he's a biblical type of Christ, he says, take and eat this bread and drink this wine, it has to to remind us of the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. The bread, of course, is symbolic of the body of Christ. The wine, symbolic of his blood. When we partake of Christ, our needs are satisfied, folks. It also says that she not only ate until she was satisfied, She had some leftover. For anyone who is hungry spiritually, Jesus will not only give you enough to be satisfied, there will be enough for you to have leftovers which you can give away. There's so many lessons in here. Are you seeing them as we go through this? And this isn't just in reference to food, but in all provisionary needs. Close your eyes for a second. I want you to think about the need you have right now. Because I believe everybody comes in here with a need. Maybe it's need for friendship. Maybe it's need for... for, uh, uh, all sorts of things. Some kind of provisionary need. Not some luxurious desire or luxurious desire, but a real need in your life. Is there a relationship that needs healing? Is there some kind of strength that you need to help you swiftly overcome some personal issues? Is your need emotional? Do you need physical or mental healing? Is it, is it financial? Is it the ability to forgive yourself or someone else? You see, we all have needs, church. Church. Jesus is the fulfillment of those needs. You name a need and Jesus can satisfy it. And I think of this so often as as I live my own life and and when a need comes, what's the first thing, and I'll just be honest, what I do and what most people do? We try to fix it ourselves. We try to put our hands to the plow and do what only God can do because, you know, he's kind of busy, so let's just take care of it ourselves, right? And how many know that that's disastrous? Did you know that Abraham did that? Father Abraham had many sons, had the Jewish nation through Isaac. Before he had Isaac, who did he have? Ishmael. Because he wanted to take matters into his own hands and try to make the promise that he had from God come true through sleeping with his wife's servant. And Ishmael was born. And you can tie the, the, the nation that Ishmael became to the Arab nation very easily. Boaz then tells these men to provide for her, let her glean, and even leave some bundles of barley to glean from. Again, it's not hard to relate this to Christ and how he provides for us and even blesses us with an abundance. All of these are lessons to be learned and studied in the book of Ruth. And if you come to a verse that says something that you don't understand, again, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll he'll reveal. Meditate on it. He'll show you. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what he's trying to say. And this is how the Word of God becomes alive when you read it. It's not just a bunch of words on a page. It's not just an ancient book that, that's not relevant for today. It is absolutely relevant for right where you're at and right where you live. Ruth then worked the rest of the day. She beat out the grain from the leftover stalks she had gleaned, and she ended up with an ephah of barley. And when I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, what's an ephah? Right? You don't just run over that and say, well, ephah, that could be a truckload. It could be a, a pocket full. What's an ephah? I have no idea, so I looked it up. An is about three-fifths of a bushel of grain, and that doesn't mean a whole lot to me either. It might to farmers like Jory, who who deal with crops all the time, but um, it basically means six dry gallons. So Ruth worked the entire day, and this puts it in Pastor Barry verbiage. She worked all day, and she got six ice cream buckets full of grain. (laughs) It doesn't seem like much, but to those with nothing, it was provisions that would last several days. So when Ruth got home, Naomi asked where she had gleaned, and there seems to be a a, a little bit of joy and hope in Naomi's voice upon seeing Ruth and the several days of food that they would now have. So Ruth began to tell her about Boaz. Then Naomi says this in Ruth 2, verse 20, "'May the Lord bless him.'" Naomi told her daughter-in-law, "'He is showing his kindness to us "'as well as to your dead husband.'" "'That man is one of our closest relatives.'" Naomi's saying, okay, I know this boy's guy. I remember him. And he's one of our family redeemers. Now, that word or phrase family redeemers in the original Hebrew is Gael, and it has deep meaning. A family or kinsman redeemer is the word that we hear maybe in Christianese a little bit more. A kinsman redeemer, a Gael, carries with it the idea of one who is of close relationship or, or kinship. So that, that, and this person redeems, they can avenge, they deliver, they purchase, or they ransom. Boaz was their kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer. And look at what it says he does. And here's that, that biblical, he's a biblical type of Christ. Does Jesus redeem, avenge, deliver, purchase, or ransom us? This is what Boaz was becoming. He wasn't it yet in the story, but he was becoming. And Naomi identifies Boaz as one of their kinsman redeemers. According to Jewish law, the kinsman redeemer had to qualify in four areas. And I want to just hit these real quick. Number one, he must have the right to redeem by being a close relative. Number two, he must have the ability to redeem. Being free of any circumstance or situation that would put him in a position of needing redemption himself. Number three, he must be willing to redeem. And number four, the redemption was considered completed when the price was completely paid by the Redeemer. So that's, that's Jewish law. So Boaz, Boaz fulfilled all of these in, in, Ruth's case, in Ruth's case. And he is, again, a picture of how Jesus is our kinsman Redeemer. And let me show you how real quick. Jesus has the right to redeem us. That's number one. Does, a, does our kinsman Redeemer have the right to redeem us? Yes, because Jesus became flesh. Is he a close relative of ours? Yes, he became flesh. He is our Emmanuel or God with us. When we accept him and receive him as our savior, when we become born again, it is in that moment that we become the children of God. We are joint heirs with him. In this way, he is our closest relative. He has the right to redeem us as that close relative. Jesus has the ability to redeem us. He lived a sinless life while on this earth. So not only does he have the right, he has the ability. He was sinless. There was no guilt within him. Jesus is a riches to rag story because he left the riches of heaven and became poor so that we who were poor might become rich. Number three, he must be willing to be a redeemer or willing to redeem Jesus is willing to redeem us. He said himself that he came to serve and not to be served, to lay his life down as a ransom for many. He was like a lamb led to slaughter, a willing sacrifice. He didn't fight it. He didn't run from it. He loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And I think that's so important for you to understand. God never waited for you to clean up your act before Jesus died for you. You can't earn this stuff. You are a sinner that has been saved by grace. And before you were saved by grace, you were just that sinner. God didn't wait. And that, so many people don't come to church. They don't come to Christ. They don't come into that relationship with him because they think they got to somehow, well, when I, when I get some things straightened up, then I'll come to church. When I get some things worked out in my life, then I'll, then I'll come to Jesus and I'll be worthy of him. You're never going to be worthy of him. Just realize that. And as soon as one drop of his blood touches your life, symbolically speaking, and covers your sin, you are absolutely worthy beyond belief because his blood is that powerful. He's so willing to redeem us. He stands at the door and knocks. He knocks on the door of our heart. He wants to come in. Jesus completed Our redemption on the cross. Number four, the redemption was considered completed when the price was completely paid by the Redeemer, right? So did Jesus fulfill that? He said, it is finished from the cross. The redemption was complete. Our sins were paid for in that moment. Everything we would say, think, or do, past, present, or future, all paid for in the single act of selfless love. He ransomed us with his blood. That's what he did. And at that moment of the cross, he said, It is finished. And he became the sacrificial lamb. That redemption was complete. I hope you're seeing all this stuff in the book of Ruth. The devastation and total disaster of Naomi and Ruth's life that is a picture of our lives before Jesus. Without him, we are broken. We are busted. We're a hot mess. But with him as our kinsman redeemer, there is healing and wholeness, victory and blessing. His name, Jesus, is our strength. What does Boaz's name mean? Strength or swiftness. And Jesus is our strength. And he can swiftly move on our behalf. But I do think it's important to note that Naomi and Ruth's redemption It was not complete at this point in the story. We're not there yet. We're only to the place where a kinsman redeemer has been identified. And some of you may be at that same place in your life. You know that your kinsman redeemer is Jesus. But the mere knowledge of that isn't enough. In Naomi and Ruth's story, a marriage would have to take place between the kinsman redeemer, who is Boaz, and Ruth. Boaz would be the bridegroom and Ruth would be the bride. Church, Jesus wants to be our bridegroom. And because of the free will he has given us, he loved us enough to give us the ability to choose, that's that free will thing, he waits for us to choose to be his bride. There has to be a relationship that has started. And I hope I'm making sense here. Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. He's the only one that can be, but your redemption isn't complete until you choose him, accept him, ask him into your heart and declare him as Savior and Lord. And not just in words, but in letting him truly change you from the inside out and becoming born again. The redemption was complete on the cross, but you have to accept that gift. Kinsman redeemer. A close family member that redeems avenges, delivers, purchases, or ransoms. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for doing all those things for me. You've ransomed my heart. You've delivered me from myself. You purchased me with your blood. You have redeemed me. He has redeemed every one of you It's already been done. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.